The Creative Relay is recorded, mixed and mastered at Smith & Western Studios. If you want to improve the quality of your podcast or start a podcast of your own, go to smithandwestern.com.au and get your first episode produced for free. I'm Paul Dunn and welcome to The Creative Relay, the podcast where the world's most inspiring creatives talk to the creatives that most inspire them. Brought to you by Smith & Western. <laughs> Welcome to the third series of the Creative Relay. This time, I'm speaking with Ben Welsh, National Chief Creative Officer for DDB. So here we are with Ben Welsh, National Chief Creative Officer at DDB. Is that correct? Ben? I believe so. Right. Okay. It's only a relatively recent. It is. It's it's all called making room for Tara, really. So so it's not <laughs> play nicely yeah. with Tara. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, cool. Excellent. Love Tara. So so I have to, and you need to manage everyone's career. You can't mm. just manage your own. your own. No, and it is fun. And Melbourne needs growth. Sydney's doing pretty well. Melbourne's the one that needs needs so a little more help. How I was actually going to ask you that. How has the role changed? Then you're spending much more time in Melbourne, or well, more time, not much. I'm trying to sort of. You know, if Melbourne is X percent of the business, then spend X percent of the time there. But it is nice. It is nice. I mean, I used to live in Melbourne, so mm. so it would be very easy to go, oh, I'm just off to Melbourne. Mm. Well, mm. You, weren't you there last week? Yeah. Well, I thought it would be a dream job in that you could say that you were in Melbourne, and then in Melbourne you could say that you were in Sydney, and no one would really know. I mean, if you had an accommodating PA... It hasn't got to that yet. No, yet. <laughs> but maybe, maybe one day. Yeah, you make it sound yeah. like it's inevitable. So, so your signal's coming from Tasmania, but you're in <laughs> Melbourne. But no, no. Uh, uh, and you're enjoying it. Yes, yes. Yeah. No, it's it is funny because I, I sometimes I reflect on what what is it that you do as a job, mm. and I, I've just come from reviewing some work for Volkswagen, and it's lovely work, and it's lovely working with people, and the, I think the thing that is most fun is seeing ideas and helping them get better. Mm. And I don't think that ever changes. Mm. And I think that's the thing you want to be near. But at that level that you're at now, are you capable of being involved on that level in a timely way? Or do you see things when it's already been through the ringer and then you're going, oh, hang on, I think we should. Um, and everyone's just going, oh, It's shit. a good question. I think, I think when I got started doing the job... I, d I did a little book. I did a little talk. It was the Comms Council Emerging Credit Directors thing. Mm -hmm. yep. So I did something called 300 Years of Wisdom. I think you may well have been part of that wisdom. Oh, really? What, which what? I may not have asked you for a quote, but oh, okay. I probably oh, put one in there. Put one in there for you, having worked with you a fair bit. Did I sound wise? Always. Oh, I mean, you. everyone was wise, but oh, well there, there, were, there were some funny ones in there. There were some things. Um, I quoted a client saying, I feel like you've told me you love me and come in my mouth. So I, was, I remember you. Remember that? Yeah. Yes, I do remember yeah. that, that so, story. Yeah. So you were there <laughs> then. And, um, I was always confused with that story though, Ben. Was that actually supposed to be a compliment? No. No. <laughs> right. I don't think that's ever a compliment. Okay. <laughs> Just I think clarifying. that was a disappointment. Yeah, right. I think probably. But, mm. but no, it, in doing that... It was interesting going collective wisdom of uh, what do you want to tell someone who's about to be a creative director and how is it different from other jobs? And I did get some amazing wisdom 
uh, one of my favourite bits was, is it Justine? What's her surname? Armour. Uh, yeah, Justine yeah. Armour. Yeah, mm. Armour. Armour. I've no, but said yeah, Armour. she she's yeah. That was one of her things, and I thought, wow, that's so good. Mm. So anyway, that's not your question. Your question was the last thing I want to do is meddling. Mm. I, I think mm. I think there is enough, particularly today, that once upon a time there was a person in the agency called the creative director, mm. and now there are all these layers, mm. and we're all doing. I don't think the roles have changed that much, but I think we've ended up with. Uh, title inflation mm. throughout industry, really. Mm. I mean, you think that there used to be a time when the managing director was the boss. There was no such thing as a CEO mm. uh, or the chairman, but think everything's changed. So I don't like to meddle, but I, I do want to know what's going on, mm. and I do want to help make things better. So you do, you do sort of like in an ideal situation, you would have people coming to you naturally saying, "I've done this. What do you reckon?" What do you think? And you'd be able to go, yeah, I like it. It's great. Or you might, maybe you just change that. So I hate the formality of reviews and getting all those people in, but you do need them. And then sometimes people need you there to support them mm. because there might be another bit of the agency that doesn't agree with something. But um, I guess it is more about managing. It used to be about managing work, and now it's more about managing people. Right. And kind of the work's easier than mm. managing people. Mm. Mm. I mean, I've got to say, uh, as um, I have worked for you in the past, I, I'm i not just pissing in your pocket, but um, I always found your feedback and your help on creative work really fantastic. And Thank you, um, Paul. No, 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 you're really good at it, Ben, I thought, because, um, you know, I've worked for a, a, a lot of people, and I just think you're so good at just articulating how generally how an idea could be strengthened as opposed to what was wrong with it right. and i think i don't know that <laughs> just seemed just seemed to be your starting yeah. point well it was either a total rejection of something that, okay. that's not right so that so let's not waste our time let's not waste time, yeah. our time even talking about it and you move on very quickly and mm. you just go well that's good but but you were able to articulate you know often i remember just at mnc just you know you'd, we'd be sitting at that uh, sort of table tucked away near the printers and you just walk past. Oh, the table tucked away by the printers. Yeah, and you'd just be wandering past, yeah. looking lost, like you often did. <laughs> Snooping. And, yeah, and you know, you'd just ask you, well, mm. you know, what do you think? And you'd give such a succinct piece of advice and then just keep wandering. You go, oh, that, well, that's actually really helpful. If that's a management style, then I think, yeah, and I look, but, but equally, there's the adage of you hire people that are better than you and you you let them do their job. I, and everyone talks about that, but I don't think people do that no. much because it's quite terrifying. Mm. <laughs> You've got all these people that are fucking brilliant. And I, I remember reading something about the guy who started Netflix and he was saying he reckoned he was doing his job because he hadn't had to make a decision in three months. Right. Because he's hired all these people and they're busy doing stuff and everything's fine and everything's working really well. So he's doing his job. And normally, if you're managing, you'd be looking for things to solve. And so much of what's wrong with the world is people trying to solve things that aren't really a problem mm. to make mm. themselves feel important. Mm. But, mm. So um, how long have you been at DDB for now? Is it about five? No, it's only three, three, right? three years and about three months. 
Wow. Yeah. How does it feel in sense of time for you? Well, having been in my previous job, having yeah. been there 19 years, yeah. that never felt like 19 years either. So three years has, I don't feel new anymore, but I can't imagine why anyone, like I think you've got to be somewhere at least five years, don't you? Just mm. to just to really feel that you've- You're part of it, the firm. Yeah, because you've got to, you've got to You've got to get to know everyone. You've got to get to know all the clients. You've got to get to know what you can change and what you can't change. I think having been on the receiving end of people coming in and changing everything mm. without waiting to actually Understand. find out what needed changing, I made a point just to observe. And I think I was, Toby had hired a, a brilliant credit department. So, in a it was some phenomenally talented people there. So I didn't change, didn't do many, many changes and mm -hmm. gradually grew it and got more people and hired some people that probably weren't the right decisions. Why is that? Just because you didn't know the place well enough? Um, I don't know that they were right for the business. Yeah, yeah right. the accounts. So yeah. matching people with accounts and just getting a bit carried away, you know, to say, oh, Oh, I can I can hire this person. I can hire that person. Just are they right? Mm. Yeah, they they kind of they were they were good people, but I I don't think anyone was a bad, untalented person. But yet they have to be the right people Fit. as well. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But now I think I think we've got no. I'm, I'm blessed, I think, with the people we've got there. Really. Yeah. Very good. Do you? It's interesting, isn't it? Because you you talked about how you're at M and C for for 19 years and. Do you think there's a place for loyalty? Mm, it's a good question. I mean, you, you do read about the millennials or Gen Zs or whatever who will have all these different careers mm -hmm. in their life, so they're not even they're not even going to be working at the same job, let alone the same place. I can remember working with someone who was raised on believing in they will do you right if you do them right. Mm. And then finding that this was complete bollocks mm. and he was very disappointed by that. I think loyalty can cut both ways and disloyalty can too. If you are working somewhere that you love the people you're working with and you're doing great work, why would you ever leave? Mm. Okay, someone offers you more money, so that, that, that can often be a reason for it. But you can end up earning more money somewhere where you're not happier. Mm. So getting getting all those things balances. I think we have a duty to people that we employ to manage their careers, which is a bit weird because there are times when you're saying to someone, well, actually, you know, you're probably right, you should go. Um, if I was you, I would. Mm. And I, I have had that conversation with people many times over the past and, and, and regretted them leaving. I mean, if you remember Dan and Barney years ago, yeah. and Sarchi, yeah. and they came and said, Duncan... Yeah had offered them a job at Droger, it was like, well, congrats, guys. Perfect thing for you. So that was, I'd, and they'd been there long enough. So I, th I think loyal, if you're somewhere long enough and if you behave in the right way, you're being loyal. If you look after people well enough, then you're being loyal to them. So mm. I, th I think if there is no loyalty, there is no culture. Mm. I was asking Rob, who runs track in New Zealand and Australia, and they have... Within, I think, I don't know whether it's Omnicon, but within within an international group, they have one of the highest ratings for staff happiness. Mm. And it was interesting just talking to them, how, why, what, what's your secret? And it seemed to be three things. One is care. If you care about people, they notice it. And, and he, he, he said a lot of the care is free food. Yeah. But 
free alcohol. I mean, mm. care, care is important. And then communication is something that companies aren't very good at. And people, you, you know, you remember walking around an agency not knowing what's going on and when something bad's happening, no one's told you anything. No one's you just feel nobody fucking cares mm. and you feel un- you're not valued. So communicate with people, which shows you care. And then, of course, if you care about people and you communicate, you build a sense of community. And once you've got that community, people are, I'm at DDB or I'm at wherever it is, and I'm feeling like I'm special because I'm there and I wouldn't be anywhere else. So yeah. those, and I, you know, all big corporations talk about different methodologies for achieving this, but it does come down to being human. Mm. Rather mm. than reading a book, they need that. They need some sort of uh, pithy little adage, though. You know, like when pilots have a crisis, theirs is aviate, navigate, communicate. You know, I, did, I didn't know that. Didn't you know that? No. It's one of my favourite things. Yeah. Aviate, like, communicate, no, navigate. No, communicate last. Oh, you've got to aviate. Like right. Keep the plane in the air. Point then navigate. Point it in the right direction, and then communicate. Then communicate. Tell people what's happened. Ah. And I just think that's. A really great little adage just yeah. for, you know, life. Yeah. Well, um, well, care, communicate, community. Yeah, I think we need to work on it. We do. Yeah. <laughs> Three um, C's, though. <laughs> but it's interesting. So I guess what you're saying is when it comes to loyalty, you're, you're thinking you've got to be loyal to people. And if it's more in their best interests to leave or if there's nothing you can do to help them any further, it's about the honesty. And that's where the loyalty comes from. I mean, honesty is a really good one because you do... It does feel that it's lacking mm. within, and it's it's not dishonesty, but it's just not letting people know no, everything. What's going on. And yeah. that comes back to the communicate thing. Yeah, I do remember at MNC Saatchi, we and you would have been there then when we started doing quarterly updates mm-hmm. with senior people. So this is where we're at. This is what money we're making. This is this is how much we're missing the targets by. And I thought that was a really good thing to do because it was sobering often yeah. it's funny isn't it because a lot of people just don't you think that people want to know that maybe there's a line I guess but there seems to be some people who kind of would like to remain oblivious and you know they're at a pay grade where they shouldn't be burdened with yeah. bad news I mean you can't please everyone can you no and that and that news can actually horrify people yeah I think, I think the first time I remember seeing some figures somewhere it's like really we're we're doing all this work and that's that's all that comes out the other end Uh. i've been very fortunate i've worked at some places with fantastic culture mnc being one of them and that's the thing about culture i guess because it just seems so effortless how would you describe ddb's culture how does it differ it 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 prides itself on its culture and it is one of the nicest bunch of people you'll ever work with right A.L., Andrew Little, CEO, always says that the heart of the culture is Bev and Rolf. And Bev and Rolf are a married couple with four daughters. They are awesome and they run the kitchen. And running the kitchen, they feed feed a large chunk of the agency. That gives a point of focus for the agency yeah. that isn't about the work, that is about people with hangovers, mm. talking and just hanging out and all those things. And they're such beautiful people that they really do sort of bring a lot of the culture I think Leif too, who's been there 20 years in Sydney, is a bit of a cultural institution. AL has been there nearly as long, but he was in Melbourne to begin with before he came up to Sydney. So culture is partly some pillars, the people Mm. that remain there a long time who 
who create that culture. I think at MNC Saatchi, you, you had the founding people mm. who founded the company there, mm. which is rare, and that certainly helped it. And you also had a, it was a different sort of agency, mm. uh, born in the 90s, that felt different. I think BMF's the same, BMF has an amazing culture for the same, the Monkeys has an amazing culture. It's harder for the big network agencies to have mm. that because they are synonymous with, well, JWT, Ogilvy, what, what's the difference? You're all WPP. Mm. Um, but they do they do manage to retain that. I think in DDB's case, Bill Burnback is still very much part of the culture. All the great thoughts and quotes of God knows how many years ago. It's been going 70 years now, the company, 1949 it was established. They're still relevant. Yeah. And we still talk about them. And when we re- did the rebrand this year, it was kind of back to the Burnback. It was, it was... Right, okay. Everything it, it you, you you find some some quote from him and you go, go, oh, I'll use that, and it keeps on happening, and it's sort of annoying at times that he he must have been so busy talking. When, when did he do his ads? But he mm. certainly did, and he sold a lot of great work too. So there is through him a belief in great work. There was also something he said about we hire nice and talented people. Life's too short to work with people who aren't nice, mm. and no matter how nice you are, if you're not talented you're actually not going to help, so you're not going to fit in. So nice and talented is so simple Mm. a way of... You can end up leaning into the nice because everyone's so nice, (laughs) and that can impact the talented thing. So you do need... It's balance. Mm. There are no arseholes there. There are some really nice people and there's some nice people, but there are no arseholes. Okay, okay. And I think okay. everyone is talented. So because you, you do you have to have, I, I think you you always have to have someone everyone hates. I Maybe you do, person. Paul. <laughs> don't you need one token asshole? Um, I'm available, by the way. <laughs> no, but don't you think? I, I don't know. You do need some mongrel. Yeah. And you do need some people that annoy you. Yeah. And those people can vary, and we can all be annoying to each other at times, but. I think there's enough to give you the shits without people giving you the shits. Yeah, true. That's that's very true. You can always find something. Yeah, there's always something to hate. <laughs> okay, so look, you've had a fantastic career, Ben. Done some amazing work over the years as a as a creative yourself, Thank, but thanks, also as a thanks creative Thanks to you, Paul. director. Oh no, there's been a lot far, of far better people <laughs> contributing to your portfolio. Than <laughs> yeah. Me. Um, What's your what's your favourite? Oh, um, I mean, I know you love the the whale song, and I know that was one of your favourites. Yeah, look, I love that whale song spot. Um, I, I would have loved it to have been more loved because mm. I don't think it really won much, mm. and I didn't quite understand that because I and I do remember tearing up, which isn't uncommon, but, but when I saw it, and I I just thought I studied marine biology at university, so in a way it was. I learned the violin for five years and never never got past grade one, but but it was sort of like a, a combination. So, combination of me in that. Uh, and I that's, think Dave Deneen did a brilliant job. That's really beautiful, together. you know, because I know a lot of the a lot of the people we've spoken to on the podcast have spoken about that their favourite piece of work is really an expression of themselves. I just remember Ankeo talking about his work. And he was saying, oh, you know, like the CUB work, it was just great to find a brand that it was Ant. shared the same sense of humour that <laughs> yeah, I had. that's so true. Yeah, it was really quite a revelation, I thought, when he said that. And it's just interesting that you you look at that the whale song for Optus 
and think it's connected those different elements of yourself. I like that brand being like, what's your brand? Yeah. And I love the fact that Ant said that because often you see brands that are forced to obey the ego of the creative director yeah, rather right. than the other way around. And the house style that can occur in certain agencies feels like it's because this is me and this, yeah. is, this is my projection. And I was and li- listening to Hegarty the other day and talking about those great Levi ads and, and Audi. They were always the brand first. Yes. Yeah, they were brilliant. And obviously his sensibility and his experience and all those things went into them. But I don't know that there was a house style. Mm. I think the best agencies don't don't have, have house styles. Mm. They have other than just doing excellent work. Yeah, well they do they do the right work for their clients mm. and that's that's not always easy. Mm. Someone reminded me the other day, Dan Engel, was reminding me that I got to write the last print ad for Concord. <gasps> the headline was retiring at 27 the true measure of success and it was like um concord's last fight blah 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 i fucking love that mm. i still I, I i would love to have a copy of that I, I mean if you still had a book it would be the first ad in there it would be because it was just it was it turned bad news into achievement oh my word it did it, yeah it was tonally so spot on it was yeah. all those and it was just a fucking line the art direction was minimal so you do think, yeah, that was all me, um, which makes you feel good. Yeah. So, I mean, I know it's a little bit passe now, but tell me what you think about the changes in the industry. Ten years ago, it was all doom and gloom because we were all going, it was going to become this 100% digital world. Um, and the craft of what advertising represented was going to disappear. And I think we've gotten past that. And I think we're probably in a much happier place now. But what's what's your feeling on the, the health of the industry and, and where it's actually going? As an industry, we're obsessed with change. And people are always trying to market themselves on new. I mean, you think of the most powerful word in advertising mm. is new. And agencies adopt that too. So Oh, we got this shiny mm. thing called digital. We got mm. this shiny thing called social. Innovation. We're no longer an advertising agency. We're in the innovation business. We're in the content business. You've just got all these different ways of connecting with the one thing that hasn't changed, which is human beings. And, and the things that drive us, our wants and needs, haven't really changed. Mm. But we've got many more ways of, of connecting brands with people. I, I can remember like the, the huge, just as you'd figured one thing out, Another thing came along, and it was like the digital revolution's going to hit us all was announced in the mid-90s, and then there was the dot-com bust mm. in 99, so that kind of put that off yeah, for a little while. For a little while, yep. And then everyone was talking digital, and we were hiring digital creative directors, and you hire digital producers, and all these digi- fucking digital people, and what yeah. do they do? And they were different. And I remember being in a meeting with Josh Rowe, who's yeah. awesome, yeah, yeah. awesomely digital and huge, and- I said a bunch of stuff and people looked slightly blank. And then he said what I thought was exactly the same stuff, but with all the right jargon. And everyone started nodding. And I'm like, oh. So it's it's language. Story of it's your a, life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then at some point I stopped worrying about digital. Mm. And I don't know whether that means I learned something or whether I just gave up. Mm. But, but it was like, yeah, digital is just another channel, mm. different ways of doing something. Then the same thing happened with social. 
And social was really confusing because still people talk about it as if it's a channel and then people talk about it as if it's a, I don't know, a different stage. Mm. Uh, and I guess it's both, but because people are having different things in my, on their mind when they're talking, it gets confusing. And then innovation, innovation was like the emperor's new clothes. Well, not so much the, the emperor's old clothes because you actually look at it and then you go, hang on a minute, this is about an insight and an idea and a production. Mm. That's what we do. Mm. But it's new so we can charge more for it right. and it differentiates us. So there'll always be things that we dangle in front of clients to try and prove our worth. worth. I, I, th I think it's an incredibly insecure industry. I mean, yeah. all the awards suggest, what, don't you know that that thing's good? You yeah. need someone else to tell you that's good? Um, and we're addicted to them. Mm. I mean, being so insecure, do you, do you see much of a future for big agencies? I think so. I, I, I think we are... Like people, are, it, everything's a work in progress. Mm. If you're a client, you're going, right, I'm, these are all the channels. I, I want experts in all those channels, so I'm going to end up with six different agencies or something or more. Some, some clients have got even more. And, and I suppose that's if, that's if your mentality is more media-focused, so it's all about the channel. If you happen to think about brand and idea, you'd be mad not to go with one agency that allows you to do all those things. Mm or at least have one agency that is the caretaker of the idea. Uh, and I, I think... I mean, well, the ori at least the originator. Well, the originator, yeah. And I think that's what DDB is good at. You've got in the building, much like MNC Sites, it's got specialists, but all working together to sort of protect the integrity of that brand idea and ensure its delivery across lots of different channels. But it, I think it's the same divide that people either look at advertising as an investment or a cost. And if you look at it as a cost, you're trying to keep it as small as possible and make sure and make it as measurable. You know, this mm. I need if you look at it as an investment, then you're there's an assumption that this is gonna work and the more I put into it, the better it will be. I would love to only ever work with people that see it as an investment because I think they they will have a natural respect for agencies and big agencies because they're good at that sort of stuff. I mean at DDB I think you can be really proud of the fact that you still seem to go out there and do big idea-based statements. And whatever format it lives in, a lot of the work does seem to have that one sort of galvanizing idea. Is that your experience with the clients that you've got, that that's what they're after? Something that everyone, whether they're a specialist in digital or whether it's social, um, traditional media, they can all sort of rally around? Is that do you notice that in the clients that you have? DDB does have some amazingly long client relationships, yeah. which 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 helps because that's inherent trust. It also we talk about platform ideas, mm. so most of our focus is essentially about doing the right thing and and the power of those ideas to drive growth in our clients. So the broad conversation is exactly that. At the same time, I was, I was thinking about one of my favourite ads was done by the Campaign Palace, mm. and it was for Cougar. Mm -hmm. And it's probably highly inappropriate. Oh, um, yeah. Two cougars, thanks. Yeah. That one. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I not surprised that's one of your favorites? <laughs> but, but it was it was brilliantly <laughs> simple. It was a wonderful insight. But I don't know what platform idea was in that. I think it was just a great fact. Yeah. And I don't think they ever did anything after that. So you could look at that and go, it was just a good gag. And it was yeah. a good, good sort of insight into guys walking up to the bar. But. Uh, it was simpler times, Ben. Yeah, well, and and maybe that, yeah, maybe that's it. But now we, and we do need to have those platform ones. Uh, 
I can remember doing something when someone asked me, what ads do you like? And it's, it's, a convers- it's a question you get asked a lot. And my answer was, well, what ads actually have worked on me? Mm-hmm. And I thought about the Cooper's, uh, the Cooper's Pale Ale in my fridge. Mm-hmm. I like that beer. I also like their ads. Mm-hmm. I thought about the Mini Cooper in my driveway. Mm-hmm. I love their ads and I love that car. And I thought about the Apple that I was writing on. It's a bit sad that I can remember this, but but the thing that struck me about all those brands was that the actual brand experience and the advertising was 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 just like a stretchy seamless. piece. It was mm. completely seamless. Like Coopers, their advertising's got a, it's a little bit cloudy if you shake. It just feels like that homemade beer thing. I don't know. I think they've lost it a bit, but then they're making minis that aren't mini anymore. So the the product is letting the brand down to my mind. But mm. that's chasing sales, and then. Um, yeah, Apple's Apple's just a little bit too ubiquitous now for for what it used to be. But yeah, we it's so hard to know whether you're influenced by an ad. Yeah. Oh, totally. You, you get people every time you tell someone they're an ad, but oh, ads. Yeah, don't they work. don't work. They, they, don't, they work. don't work. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Who do you bank with? Why? Oh, I don't know. I just just like I just them. Do. Yeah. And who's it, which? Who are you flying to Europe with? Oh, oh, Singapore. Why? Well. Oh, they're a good airline. Yeah. Just, all these things that suddenly yeah. unfold. I'm just wondering, like, as a words man, I know you, you're you so passionate and so meticulous about words and just so careful about the nuances of, of seemingly very similar words. Whether you see that, are we losing sight of how important words are? It's a really interesting question. I think my first response is I hope not, but <laughs> but you, then you think about fucking emoticons and and how frequently I use them and take the very fact that we're having to write with our thumbs is limiting our vocabulary and we're communicating that way more and more frequently. And lol, you know, we we, we everything's getting foreshortened. So really, yeah, today I was sending a text and I went back and went oh there should be an apostrophe there <laughs> and I thought is that anal no no it's right yeah, there, there yeah, should yeah. be an apostrophe I'm not going to give up the standards just because it's a text but we do daily I, I really miss print advertising mm. print was like a wonderfully succinct intelligent t- conversation mm. with someone mm. it's it's still it's you wrote, write it someone reads it it's a very direct uh, and it's a wonderful opportunity to connect with people and to use language and to write the right tone in there. There's a, a Wardcraft course at the moment that's being run um, very well by a guy called James Harvey. He's been doing this really good course. And he, he his introduction to copywriting, as in writing for press, he actually included social media because it's almost like writing for a static medium. Uh, and, and yes, you, you, got a pic, you kind of have a picture and you kind of have some words, words, so it's still the same thing. And I think the same skills exist. You need to capture a pithy, succinct thought in a memorable way. Mm. We don't sing them as much as we used to, perhaps, mm. but it's human brains. You know, you, you remember things because they're simple mm. and they're memorable. I often think about not happy Jan. Yeah. As, as a line, it was, it could have been, I'm so pissed off. Oh, I can't believe you did that. It could have been anything. Yeah. But the very fact that not happy Jan was constructed in a way that nobody actually speaks but they could 
is what made it memorable. And I think often those those accidental constructions are the things that make them memorable. I, it's funny. I was thinking about that today because someone said to me on the phone, I was looking for a part for a car. And the guy said to me, just let your fingers do the walking, mate. Oh, my God. And I thought, wouldn't it have been brilliant to come up with let your fingers do the yeah. walking? Yeah, ads that became part of the vernacular. It is funny how language um, language is always moving. I can remember hearing someone probably two years ago, you know, everyone says 100% mm-hmm. now when they're agreeing with you. I heard someone on the radio from Queensland, and it was might have been a firefighter or someone like that, and they were being interviewed, and they, and they, oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. And I swear that was the first time I ever heard it. And then since then, it seems like a virus. It's just it's gone spread everywhere. like wildfire. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. What about, uh, have you been hit with the OK Boomer yet? Uh, yes. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Noah Regan said OK Boomer the other day. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair it's enough. good that people can be honest with you, Ben. Yeah, it is. <laughs> You may not want to broadcast your innermost secrets, right? But where do you where do you see yourself going from here, Ben? What would you like to do? Well, um, I'm still enjoying doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I think it's important we say that first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get that. Just, just in case. Yep. My ambitions at the moment are like having won Creative Agency of the Year with Campaign Briefs thing. I want to win that again. I think winning it twice is saying something. And I suspect if we do that, I'll probably want to win it three, three times, times because that feels like yeah. A real statement. Yeah. I have, like, I started writing a book. I, I, it's a scary thought, but I actually started writing it 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I finished it three years ago. Did you really? I finished it. It's not very long. It's only about 50,000 words. Right. Still. Um, I sent it to a few publishers, mm-hmm. and I think the most positive response I got back was, uh, it's so hard to get fiction published these days. If A few years ago, I would have given it a go, and that was like... That's yeah, yeah. I'll take that. That's not a. And then I actually got in touch with Lauren's mate, who happens to be a literary agent. Right. This is Lauren August. Well, TV it is Lauren producer. August. Thank yep. you, Lauren. Yeah. And she looked at it, read it, and said, "No thanks." <laughs> oh, so you had an in? Yeah. And it was the and door she said, slam. "No, no, it's not. This isn't right for me." House. But these are some people that maybe you want to talk to. And that kind of like, mm, oh well. So you didn't follow it up? No, no. With well, the other no, people? No, no. And it, it, I finished it on the day my mother died. It was this weird thing. that So, so I, f- I felt like that was important. And then I was talking to a director, Jeff Bullsmeyer. Have you ever worked with Jeff? No, no. Jeff's, um, he, he wrote and directed Danny Deckchair. Remember oh, that yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was a Hollywood director who came out here. He's a lovely guy. And I was co- I caught up with him recently for a coffee and we were talking about what you've been up to and I said, oh, I wrote a book. And he sent it to me, sent it to me. So I sent it to him and he he re, he's, he was ever so kind. I mean, he's American, so he's very polite, but, but he was really lovely. So he's persuaded me to go back, change a few things and he'll put me in touch with someone because he's working with an author doing turning her screen her novels into screenplays. So I would dearly love to get yeah this published because and soon because it's about climate change, politics and advertising. Well, it sounds quite timely. Like it was I did start it 10 years ago and all the shit around climate change and government inaction is still just as relevant as yeah. it was then. Yeah, well that is That hasn't changed. <laughs> 
Do you think working in advertising sapped your creativity or channeled it in an area and there's only kind of a limited supply? Uh, I don't think it was a limited... Well... Oh, no, I have vast amounts of talent. (laughs) On day... Every day, I think there's a limited supply. But but I do think... I remember we had... I think you were probably there at MNC Sites. We had an exhibition of the what people had been up to artistically. Like there were photographs and things and there was a, a sculpture of a spinal column mm. from a guy who was a young account guy. And there was all this talent in the agency that nobody ever knows about because you, you most people in an agency, whether they call themselves creative or not, have some mm. affinity for it. So back at school, I wanted to do art and that, that was probably my passion. I loved doing that. I hated writing. Did you really? Absolutely hated it. I know, but that depends on your teachers. Mm. And I, like, I had to do Weathering Heights at school, and I hated that with a passion. And I found English just so pronouns, pro, I, why? It's just words. I, I couldn't understand. And I was probably more comfortable doing science or art, and it wasn't. So it is kind of weird that I ended up, ended up doing that. But. I love painting. I broke my neck two years ago. You Did didn't you? Know that? Yeah, yeah. I fell off a bicycle trying to be fit. Um, and I found myself stuck at home not being able to do much. And I then I found some old paints, uh, some acrylic paints and some brushes, and I started painting. And I actually found that an incredible therapy and an escape because for two hours you were just, just completely immersed in doing yeah. something. Yeah, right. When you are being creative at work, you're you're applying logic and creativity, doing those two things together. When you're doing a painting or writing something in a book, it's just it's free free flow. Mm. So it was a different stream. Right. And okay. Yeah. No one had to approve like Proven. no one was going to approve it. Yeah. There was no client to disappoint. It's just you. Mm. Finally, we, we do have a lot of uh, listeners obviously in the ad industry and a lot of ones who are sort of younger is there a piece of advice some words of wisdom that you would give someone who perhaps and I think particularly who are at that stage of their career where they're thinking am I going to commit to this or am I going to ditch it now and try something else because I think there's a lot of people who do that they get to maybe being in it for about 10 years and are just sort of like wavering What's your advice? I think you should make that decision a bit earlier than 10 years. Mm. I think I'd start by saying what we do is selling. Mm. And I think anyone who doesn't realize that should get out. Right. And do children's books, write novels, whatever, paint. Do, do Find another avenue for your um, creativity because what we do is selling. And once you understand that what you do is selling, then you realize that strategy is, nothing is more important than strategy. And then... Nothing is more important. I don't know, it's two nothings are more important, which is not possible, but nothing is more important than being able to sell your work. And, and I have many copies of 300 Years of Wisdom, Creative Wisdom, to give to people if they want it. In there, there was a great quote from Ted Horton who said, you know what the difference is between me and someone else? My ideas get made. Mm. And that was, I mean, I've never forgotten that. And I think the the other bit of wisdom was from Tom Mack, which he never actually said, but it was a point of <laughs> realization that took me so fucking long to realize. Was he's not he's not writing the ad for the people out there. 
He's writing the ad for the person in there, the person on the other side. So whilst, whilst ultimately it'll be a great ad for people out there, the audience is the person sitting opposite you in the room, mm. whether that's a creative director or a client or all those things. So you need to, and that, again, that's selling. So understand that the job is selling and then you will look at everything you do differently. And don't expect just because you've done a good job with that, that everyone will, that your career will take off. I think you need to. There, 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 more advice in that book is all all about keep one eye on your career because we. I can remember a, a year would go by and you think, God, if this happens and this happens and this happens, I'll, my book's going to, you know, my book's going to be better. And then none of those things happen, and you're suddenly going, oh fuck, that's mm. another one. So, mm. yeah, I think that's two bits of advice. Yeah, it's selling and keep an eye on your career. Yeah. Okay. That's really good. Bit too late for me, but oh thanks. no, it's never too <laughs> do you, late. Do you know what? I, we I actually, think you, you, you're pretty good at managing your career. Oh yeah, we had um, just got bored with places. Yeah, we, as I recall. <laughs> well, no, I think you fired me, Ben. Well, <laughs> <laughs> from my I, recollection, <laughs> hired you twice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So you in left the balance. That was revenge in the ba- revenge for the first time. <laughs> um, it's funny. I was speaking to Tom back uh, a few weeks ago, and. He was talking about um, people in their 40s. Yeah. And he was saying that, you know, um, people in their 40s, they've got to be so careful. And they've really got to uh, realise that at that point in their careers, if they're not top of the tree or if they're not going out and starting their own business, it's over. I think it's their 30s. I don't think it's their 40s. Well, I said to Tom, I spent my 40s working for you. (laughs) Why didn't you tell me then? Yeah. I was like, well, you know, sorry. But uh, anyway, never mind. Hey, um, part of the thing with the Creative Relay is we talk to you and then we ask you to come back and bring in an inspiring creative that you would like to talk to. Now, I know you have got someone in mind. Can you give us a hint as to who that person is? It's just like Triple J. It is. It is just like, yes, like a version. Who is that person? A hint. So... Okay, this this person is. Um, I haven't asked them yet, yeah. but they are working overseas. Mm-hmm. I think they will be back in Sydney in December. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're phenomenally good, and they've been phenomenally good partly through through hard. I mean, ability, but also an awful lot of hard work. I think this person who probably I've known quite a long time, mm-hmm. um, and is a great role model. Um, how, I mean, how close do I get with this? Do that's I, that's do close enough. Yeah. Excellent. I look forward to it. Hey, Ben, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure, both personally and for the podcast, uh, to catch up with you today. It's been, it's been great, mate. So thank you so much for your time. It's been, I've loved it. It's just, it's so nice to talk to you over a beer. And uh, this is your new career, surely. Yes. All right. Thanks, Ben. It's great. I'm going to shake your hand. Thank you, mate. Good on you. Cheers. Thanks for downloading the Creative Relay podcast brought to you by Smith & Weston. Go to our website at thecreativerelay.com where you'll find a whole lot more info and extra content about the podcasts and all our guests. Next time, I'll be back with Ben and his mystery guest for another episode. Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe, like and rate us. See you next time. (laughs) 